Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we talk again about something that we traditionally never talk about, that is AFSEC. And with Derek, we are touching on topic that is particularly close to my heart on really how to start application security program and what it, what it is an application security program. So Derek has been quite a popular author from recently and and publisher, but in his non-publisher life is the head of product security. But I'll shut up and and let Derek introduce a little bit more about yourself. Derek, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate the uh, the opportunity here to to talk about uh, application security. So, so yeah, I, I I'm the head of product security at a financial technology company, rather large one. I've I run a global team that is in charge of ensuring that we bring security into the software and services that we provide to our clients and, and internally as well. Uh, I also teach at the university, teach a software security course at Temple University here in the, for those in the, in the U.S., it's outside of Philadelphia, but actually inside of Philadelphia, it's Temple University. But then I also wrote a, a book on, on building an application security program. So excited to talk about the topic. Fantastic. And talking about the book, what, what did drive you? Well, what gave you the, the, the idea of actually writing a book? Because it's an extremely gruesome process and it's like taking your head, putting it on paper. Why, why did you start that process? Yeah, I think you, I think you hit it right on the, on the head there. I mean, it's basically taking, you know, what's, what was, what was in my mind at the time and, and really putting it to paper. And when I uh, came into my role, uh, my current role, you know, I, I was looking at what what we had in front of us in terms of an application security program and and really wanted to transform it into something that was more robust, had what I thought was a little bit more of the the hallmarks of an application security program. And and about a year, year and a half into that journey, you know, I I started thinking about, you know, writing writing this down and and really kind of planning out or or at least writing down what what the plan you know, looks like for, for somebody that, that would come into a, a position where they had to build an application security program. And so I had kind of already been thinking about doing that, but I was approached by Manning Publishing and, and was asked, you know, if I'd be willing to, to write a book and, uh, you know, the rest is history. So, but, you know, when I, when I was talking to Manning about the consumer of the book, you know, who, who's, who's the reader of this book, who's right. going to, you know, benefit from it, you know, I, I hate saying everyone, but it really, it really does come down to everyone. I, I think there's things in there for, you know, engineers, there's things in there for architects, for scrum masters and, and project managers and for, for leaders, because, 
you know, we're, we're pretty fond of saying in, in application security that it's, that it's everyone's problem. You know, we're, we're not, we're not doing everything on our own. We, we do have to rely very heavily on, on engineering uh, organization to, and the developers to ensure that security is being built in. And, and so it's important to, to share that knowledge with as many people as possible. Yeah, no, I totally agree on, on the sharing and on the fact that it's a collaborative process. How did you start, you know, the application security program? Like, how do you assess where an organization is and then decide where to go? I think the, the, the biggest thing is to sort of check your assumptions because right. when you come into a, a, you know, organization and, and let's say you're starting from scratch and you're, you're asked, you know, to build this, this program you're going to have some ideas in your mind now mm-hmm. here i need to i need to do these three things first and that may not necessarily be in line with what the organization actually needs so what i what i'd like to do is is get out and start talking to the engineering organization and the developers and and find out like what are your pain points what are what are your risks like what do you see as risks because the security organization is going to have a different lens on what the risk is compared to what the engineering organization is going to see. And there's also some, you know, what I would call tribal knowledge that you just don't know. Right. And I think there was a pretty good example. I, I'd mentioned this uh, recently in a, in a conversation I had where when I, you know, came into my role, I, I did the whole roadshow when I got out and started mm-hmm. talking to people and, and finding out, you know, what their concerns were. And one theme that kept bubbling up in a couple of those conversations were things that was something that just wasn't on anybody's radar. And it was a significant risk. It was a significant security risk that, that, you know, once it was pointed out, I was like, oh, geez, that's, that's concerning, you know, and, and that came from engineering, not from, not from security. And so I think, you know, you may not always find those gems, but I think it's important to take that input you know, from the people that you're working with, the, the organization that you're working with to understand what their risks are and make sure that you mingle that with the, with the risks that you know are identified by security. And, you know, once you have kind of that baseline of what is it that we're trying to protect, then you start building your program, you know, around that because at the, you know, it, our job is to reduce the risk of the organ, you know, of the organization. And if you don't know what that risk is, then you don't know what you're trying to tackle. You don't know what you need to protect, you right. can protect. And that's, that's good on the touch point on, on a recent conversation that we had around SPOM, around SPOM being actually just asset management or an evolution of asset management, or maybe an involution of asset management. What's right. your take on the whole bill of material? And I'm not going to say there. Dirty yes. What? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think we talk a lot about blocking and tackling. You know, in in security, it's it's the basics, right? And and I think that you know, knowing what your assets are and knowing what you have deployed in in environments and and what goes in, what's what is the recipe to make bread? Mm-hmm. You know, what it, what is the recipe that that is you know the different ingredients that are, that are being put together to, to make your, you know, your application. I, I think that's kind of fundamental. So I know that there's a lot of, you know, especially with the executive order that, that came out, you know, I guess last year from, from the Biden administration and, 
and uh, you know the 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 cybersecurity strategy and and there's been a lot of attention uh, put on third party risk and and you know the 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 libraries and components that are being used by by organizations to build their software uh, I, I think it's a bit of reactionary just because of what because you know there's there's a lot of consideration around you know how uh, attackers can get into mm -hmm. the supply chain by you know compromising one component in order to you know leverage that against multiple organizations but when it comes down to it i mean it's it's basics right you, you need to know what you have and and i i think we all know that but those of us that you know work in engineering also know that it's a complex ecosystem there's right stuff everywhere and yeah you don't always know where it is and you know that sounds crazy maybe to the to the layman that you know you don't know what's what's running in your environment it's like no sometimes you don't you know you know it changed it's, so quickly it, exactly you know and it's not that it's not for a lack of trying it's just to your point i mean things change so rapidly things that were there yesterday aren't there today things that aren't there today are there tomorrow. And, you know, it's, it's an ever, ever changing environment. So, but it is basic, you know, having, having an idea of what's, what's in your environment and, and what, what the ingredients are for, for building your application. I mean, that's, that's fundamental. No, that's a brilliant point. And maybe on that point, we touched about what you're building, where you run it. I want to ask a couple of questions on that. So first of all, what's a product? And how do we define a label linked to this product that is fundamentally a product below material or a P-bomb or star bomb? Everybody call it in a, in a very different way. But what is a product? Let's start. Let's start maybe from there. I'd opinion. love to know what it what a product is. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a I think that's a tough question too because you know we when we look at trying to protect right you know application security or product security you know it's it's about you know protecting the assets and, and protecting the value that the that the organization is delivering to its clients mm -hmm. and you know I, I think you know what you're what you're getting at here is that that can take many forms right i mean you can have apis that are completely independent of of an application you can have microservices dozens or, or scores of microservices that are combined to create, you know, an application and that application looks different for each client. You can have a monolith product, which I think is what we're all kind of accustomed to, you know, from a product standpoint that it's, you know, you have a, a war fire file that's, you know, deployed to a, to an Apache server and it's like, well, there it is, you know, and, um, but I, I think it's today it's, it's, we don't have a monolithic application anymore that that's deployed that you know we only run two three versions of it mm -hmm. you know for all of our clients those days are gone and so you know i i've struggled with this as well you know it, it's do we look at the do we look at the product from a point of view of what do we sell to our clients you know what what are the skews that our clients see you know is it you know product abc you know one two three that's that's our product well that product could be you know, built by multiple different applications that are, that are pulled together components from each of those applications that are, you know, using microservices and calling APIs from third parties, it's spaghetti behind, behind the scenes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think when we talk about, you know, product, I, I think it's, you know, 
what do, what do we sell to our clients? You know, what do our, what do our clients see? But I don't have a great answer for that. I mean, what do you think? You know, what is, what is a product to you? That's a very good question. And, you know, I've, I've struggled a lot with the definition of product. And I think there isn't a definition of product, first of all. Um, I've seen a lot of transformation. I've done a lot of upside transformation. And everybody calls product in a different way. Some people even call product service. Uh, instead of service, uh, because that's what they know about the product. That's what being sold, as you rightfully say, it's to client. Some other called software that they build and how they compose with website API, multiple component, multiple structure that call each other. So I think it's really depending on the organization where you are and how you want to define. But I've, I've seen there is a silver lining that is not just everything fluid, but I think I've seen ownership and product being kind of similar and resonate kind of in the same way where everybody, well, each individual that owns a specific product or a named individual that owns a product or where the bucket stops. That's the collection of things that makes sense to be called a product because then you have accountability, you have traceability, you have things that you can call as you say. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one Direct. click. Measure risk and measure the performance of specific things. And having somebody that makes a decision there is the definitional product that, for me, it made more sense and it was more impactful because it had action linked to it. What do you think, Derek? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, and again, if you if we had two other people in this conversation, they probably had different definitions as well. I mean, it's it's not a it's a it's a challenge, you know, to to define. I, I think, but I think when it comes down, you know, to protecting, you know, that product or protecting, you know, those services or or certain, you know, whatever whatever you want to call them, you know, that's where I think application security has kind of a bit of an advantage, right? Because we mm -hmm. we know we know where the code is. Right. And, and, you know, we know the pipelines that are developing that code. And, and I think that's, you know, where we have a little bit of a, a unique position in the sense that, okay, that, you know, although this code may be getting deployed in, in multiple environments and, and, you know, presented to multiple different clients in, in a myriad of different ways, the code, we know where that is. We know where the repos repositories are. We know where the pipelines are. We know where the source code management is, is, is happening. And, and that's where we can, you know, inject ourselves and ensure that, you know, we're catching issues early on. So, so I think that, I think that's, you know, helpful having that, that visibility. I see that you mentioned product as software and before you mentioned also risk, how do you see product risk? in this, because it's been changing 
quite yeah. frequently, and I'm referring to the posture management that Scana has put out of recently right. looking at the full stack application security. What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's risk is, is again, another one of those kind of changing things, right? And, and <laughs> I think when we look at, you know, because what I see as risk might be different than what the business sees as risk than what the engineering you know team sees as risk. And, and that's right. You know, the business is going to have a different risk lens than technology will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes down to, and this is sort of, I know when we talk about, you know, risk rating and, and, you know, understanding, you know, risk, we, we always talk about, you know, pulling in the, the business and the technology people getting together and, and coming to a consensus that this is the, you know, this is the overall risk for the organization. I don't think that organizations in general have done a, a, a great job on, on defining their risk and understanding what their risk is, or at least coming to a consensus in the sense that, you know, is a one hour outage on our flagship product is that a you know is that a technical risk or is that a business risk you know and and if you're amazon that's that's a huge you know risk you know for if amazon.com goes down for yeah and so you know i i think there's there's so many different ways of of looking at you know the risk especially when it comes to things like you know what's our you know, what are our obligations from a compliance and contractual point of view, our SLAs, you know, how does that impact our bottom line? And so we tend to focus on what we, you know, to, to no. make it simple, we, we tend to focus on like CVS scores, like, okay, we have, <laughs> we have a critical, we have a critical and, and that's it, you know, and everyone focus on that critical and that may not, you know, that critical vulnerability that maybe sitting on a on a system or, or a product or you know software that nobody touches or it's not it's not seen the light of day now you know obviously that's an extreme example but but well, i it think can be you know or the particular right. function like exploitability exactly. reachability and don't even don't even get me started on yeah don't even get me started <laughs> on exploitability yeah it's it's you know that that i think is something that you know the exploitability i think is something that we're you know we need Actually, to challenge ourselves on that I want to take you on that because there is a huge debate of recent in the industry, SAST, SCA, DUST, and RASP. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can talk through the audience of what are the various, what are those formula? Because not everybody, maybe people are used to static code analysis and dependency analysis, but real-time analysis or runtime analysis and dynamic testing, people are not that familiar with. Yeah. I know you yeah, have and, opinion, and, and yeah. we've been discussing about with Jeff from Contrast a lot about this. Yep. Yeah, I bet you have. And and to be honest, like I, I like what Jeff's doing. I like Contrast too. I I think that you know that a lot of the stuff that they're doing there in that in that space makes sense, especially with you know. Being able, well, anyway, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not on a sales call here for contrast, but I, I think, you know, I think we had, what it, we had, you know, we had them, we had them extensively on the previous season. We're going to have Jeff again on this season. So. Good. Yeah. Good. 
No, he, yeah, he's great. I've had the opportunity to meet him at least once or twice, like in person. And we've had conversations, obviously. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the whole concept of, of, you know, this, this concept of, of shifting smart, right? You know, we, we've spent so much time with the, you know, the shift left, right? Everything shifts left. And, and, you know, I'll admit that, I, you know, I, I've been on that bandwagon as well, because I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in that sense that, you know, you want to push your, want to push your, your analysis tools and your vulnerability management as close to the development as possible. And there's, there's truth to that, right? You know, and, and I think the way I always think about it is, that, and, you know, writing books and, and be, being a, a teaching at, at Temple, you know, for me, it's about changing the mindset, you know, and, and changing, you know, getting developers to think about security while they're, you know, or, or, or at least have the confidence and, and the ability to develop secure code from the start. And I think that is still shifting left, right? It, it's getting more secure code being written. But then there's that kind of shift sort of left, right? Where it's, you know, that's right. where you have that static analysis, right? Where you're, you're scanning the code, you know, the, there's, you're scanning the code as it sits. And the challenges with that is that it's not running, you know, it's not running code, right? You're, you're, you tend to get a lot of false positives from SAST. You tend to get a lot of noise, you know, out of SAST and, and not a lot of actionable, you know, vulnerabilities. I think we're, we're better at that than we were, let's say five, 10 years ago in, in terms of SAST, but you know, that's still, that's still a challenge with, with static analysis. But as you move, you know, to the right hand of that equation, as you start moving into, you know, the CICD and, 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 you know, development environments and then eventually into production, you're getting, you know, your, your false positives start reducing and you start right. getting more actionable, you know, vulnerabilities, like things that, you know, are truly vulnerable. To, and a prime example is, you know, the furthest right you can kind of get in terms of testing is penetration testing, right? You have right. it. It's running in an environment, you let loose some pen testers and they crack open your application. And it's like, well, that's, that's a true vulnerability because you found it, right? But then you so need I to think, trace you know, it back. The challenge is you yep. need to trace it back. And that's the whole challenge yeah. of dust. They're not going to tell you where the line of code is, where this was, you know, created. It's, it's just, I found this, you know, just as a silly example, I found a SQL injection on your, you know, text box on your main page, right? Good luck finding it. <laughs> I mean, you can, right? But it. But they're not, you know, yes, to your point. It requires analysis. It requires correct, a deeper correct. analysis and a deeper correct. triage. And sometimes it's buried down on the SQL query. Sometimes it can be the middleware. Sometimes it can be even the front end, God forbid. Right. And on the opposite side, you know, it's, it's less noisy, but then it's difficult to trace it back, but on the, on the, on the flip side, you don't have any contextual element when you're looking at code, but could be quick firing. Right. Yeah. And I think the other challenge too is scope, right? Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, if you're looking at, you know, just sticking with the, the penetration testing example, odds are like if you've done, you know, if you've worked with third party to do a, a pen test of your, of your application, you know that it's a limited scope, right? They're only going to test for a period of a week or so, or maybe two weeks. And, you know, you're giving them, you know, some level of access and, and telling them to stay within the confines of these, you know, rules of engagement. Because and, that's how hacker works, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, that, that means that you're not, you're, you aren't getting a true picture, right? You're getting a, you're getting a 
predefined picture, right? Getting a picture of, of something that you told the, the attacker that, okay, here's the places, you know, that you can go to everything, you know, these other areas are off limits. And some of that's because of cost, you know, some of that's because of time, you know, it, it is expensive to hire somebody to, to go do that. So, you, you know, you do limit the scope, but you know, that that's another challenge too, with, with that type of, you know, as you move further to the right, you know, whether it's penetration testing or, or, you know, any kind of like DAS tool or something like that, uh, you're, or I asked, you know, you're not, you're not always getting the full picture, right? No, I do agree that I think we were discussing this with Brooks on one of the webinar on the benefit of a pen test is actually finding stuff that you will not normally find with any static analysis or any other element. If you find like low hanging fruit with a pen test, you better go and find this with automated tools. So I think yeah. to circle back to what you originally said, what form an application security program, I think is all those things and to a percentage and degree, in my opinion, of those things. What do you think? Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, totally agree. 100%. Right. And the running application security program is not the only book you wrote though. What's, what drove you to actually write Alicia Connect? Yeah. So COVID, <laughs> I think, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, I, had, I was thinking about the idea, you know, I, I have a daughter at the time she was, you know, about the age of the, of the girl in the story that I was writing about, but, you know, we talk about shift left and, and I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to shift left, the, the furthest left you can get is, is, you know, teaching, uh, <laughs> teaching kids how to, how to be uh, secure. So no, you know, I, I think it comes, I, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I mean, it, we're, we're no strangers to this. I mean, you know, you see a lot of, if you, if you go out and people watch, which I do, you know, go to the mall or go sit somewhere and, and, and people watch and, and you see everyone's got their, you know, nose in a, in a device. And I think children are picking those devices up early and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they don't have parents like that, that work in cybersecurity. So, but I, I will say that, you know, I, I've been surprised there are, there are a lot of savvy parents out there, but there's a lot of parents out there that, that aren't. And, you know, it, it's, you, you don't hand over the keys to a car to a, a child without some, you know, basic, you know, training and, and fundamentals. And I think, you know, we, we tend to hand over, you know, tablets and, and phones and, to children at a very young age without really giving them kind of the armor that I think they need to get into, uh, into that technology. I mean, we're, you know, and, it, and it's the, the book series there, there's three books uh, in the series and, and each one kind of, you know, takes on different challenges. You know, the first one's just about getting, you know, accustomed to the technology and, and setting up, you know, uh, secure passwords and, you know, proper usage of, of the technology and, and it kind of progresses from there and uh, including some stuff you know, with, you know, friending people that you don't know and, and kind of getting in trouble with, you know, maybe meet, you know, talking to people that you shouldn't be talking to. And, you know, those are all real challenges. I, I think I, I follow some parenting groups where, you know, related to technology and, and there's a lot of very frightening, heartbreaking stories that you know parents go through with their children and, and technology and again i i think you know we don't hand over the keys to a car to a, a, a young child yet we give these devices over to them without really kind of uh, thinking about it and it's a it's a different world so 
I totally agree with you. What we can equip them is with critical judgment and those weapon and armor. But maybe on on the same subject, what's your take on GPT and, and the whole generative AI that we empower everybody, including children to, to handle. And if you don't have, for example, the ability to cross reference sources, that is that we as an adult struggle, how can we trust that an AI is going to do a better job than a critical judgment website? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm on the, I'm on the AI train, you know, it was a little apprehensive to begin with, but I, I think there's. You know, and I think it's one of those things where start using it and you'll start seeing the power of it, mm-hmm. uh, but also start using it and you'll start seeing the limitations of it. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, but that's going to change, you know, that that's going to be ever evolving. And I, I, I think what switched with me was, you know, starting to think about it as more of making, you know, making me more productive mm-hmm. and it's not about replacing functionality. You know, when Google came along and, you know, suddenly, you know, there it's the joke that you don't have to remember anything anymore, right? You know, you mm-hmm. can just Google it, you know, and if you're hanging out with friends and, you know, you, you say like, oh, remember that TV show? What was it called? I don't know. And and somebody Googles it, right? Nobody needs to remember that stuff anymore. But well, we'll that hasn't, faster. you know, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, you know, with AI, I, I think it's about understanding that it's, it's going to augment the way we do the things. Mm-hmm. I think that there's definitely some great, you know, potential there for just very basic things that we, that we do just data, you know, crunching on data or, or coming up with ideas for things. Those are, you know, very low hanging kind of use cases for, for AI, but it's definitely going to be, you know, as quickly as it's evolving. I think a year from now, we're going to see a fundamentally different, you know, landscape. I, I think it's for the good. If you want to pull it back into like security, I think there's, there's some good use cases there as well. Mm-hmm. Just helping developers develop more secure code, you know, being kind of a, a, a secure assistant. And I know that there are some companies that are working on that. I also think that, you know, from a security organization that we can leverage AI to help us even with things like vulnerability management or just kind of correlating data and, and trying to find, you know, indicators of compromise and, and all that stuff. I know, again, products are, are sort of doing that, but now this puts it into the hands of the, of the security organization to do that. On the flip side of that, you know, obviously attackers are looking at AI to make their job easier too, right? You know, and I brought this up yesterday that, you know, in, in a conversation I was having where you know, you, you kind of see an, an attacker, you know, asking ChatGPT to create, you know, exploit code for something. And, you know, ChatGPT comes back and says, you know, as an AI model, I can't do this. And then you just see, you know, the the attacker kind of adjust the, yeah, adjust the, the prompt a little bit. And, and suddenly, you know, they got the code that they needed. So, you know, the, the word or the phrase prompt engineering is is starting to catch on, you know, where create, you know, creating that, being able to create those prompts that are going to get you what you need is going to take off as well. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot there to unpack. I I think that there's going to be a lot of good stuff that are going to come out of it, but like everything else, you know, there's going to be challenges as well. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's early days and there is a yep. lot of experiment out there. Definitely on secure coding, removing of potential false positive vulnerability. You still need the context aspect of it because not every cross-reference that you can do with GPT will be able to give you good information or maybe mislead you on some information. Like we did a couple yeah. of research where cross-referencing data set actually give you 89% of the time a wrong response and it changed all the time. So I think there are definitely use cases, but as you rightfully say, I think attacker are using it, so we better get on the bandwagon and, and get at the same speed because is 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 the catching the mouse or cat and mouse game. Right. If if we let the mouse yep. go too fast and too far, we'll lose the battle. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, we unfortunately come towards the end of of our conversation and this open up a, a topic like AI and application security, open up a topic that maybe we can take on, on a, on a following podcast, but we have a tradition yeah. here on the CSCP on the cybersecurity and cloud podcast that is leave the audience with a positive message. What will be your positive message for younger? I'm going to challenge you on younger and older generation. You know, I, I think, and I'll say this, I think that there's, you know, there's always excitement in this space, you know, it, like, you know, you talk about the AI and, and I, and I think that, you know, there's obviously it's, it's all over the AI is not new, right. But it's been all over the news, you know, in the recent months with chat GPT and, and, you know, everyone's asking about how to do with it, you know, and, and how to deal with it and, and how to use it. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the the good things about, you know, being in this industry is, is that there's a lot that changes, you know, for, for the younger ones that, that are looking to get into, you know, cybersecurity and, and be part of this, you know, field, there's, there's a lot, you know, there's, there, we talk about it all the time. There's, there's a, a shortage of, of people to fill, you know, a, a, a large, you know, bucket of jobs. So, so I think, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to get involved and, and do, do some great things, you know, and, and, you know, it, it's good to be in this industry and really think about how we're really, you know, reducing risk and, and trying to help people and, and help companies and, and, you know, do the right thing. And I think there's, there's some good, you know, value there, you know, for the older ones, you know, for us that are, that have been around the block quite a bit, you know, like I said, there's always, there's always some good challenges. There's always something new. If you're staying curious, if you're staying, you know, yeah, yeah, that too. you know, glutton for punishment, but yeah, it's, you know, there's always something, there's always something new that comes around, right? It doesn't stay, doesn't say stay uh, stagnant for long. You know, there's, there's always something that comes around that's, that's new and, and exciting. And, and I think if you're uh, into, you know, technology and you're into, you know, really uh, being involved in this space, I think there's always opportunities. So that's, that's always good. So, and I'm going to leave you with, uh, one last question. What did drive you to run Ironman? And when's the next one? Oh, the Spartan. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, that was, you know, it, the, the one I just did, uh, I guess it was last weekend that was 13 miles. So, you know, a little over 13 miles, so 21 kilometers, something like that. And there's 30 obstacles and, and, you know, about halfway to two thirds of the way through, I, I kept on jokingly telling myself, you know, like, I, I can't believe I paid to do this, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's challenged, right. It's, uh, I think it's, it's 
always kind of exciting, you know, to get up there to the start line and, and start running and, and knowing that there's, you know, some challenges ahead of you. And, and I don't really look at the course ahead of time. So I, I, I usually kind of get surprised, you know, when I'm on the course, which is fun, you know, it's, it's fun and it's exhausting at the same time. Cause I'm not yes. really, you know, <laughs> but you know what, it, there's, there's a lot of parallels to, I think, to the, to the work that we do too, uh, where it's just, you come in, you have no idea what the day is going to bring. And uh, you just kind of, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really train. Yeah. You know, and, and people have asked before, like, how do you train for the, for the Spartan races? Because it's, if, if you, if anybody, you know, looks it up, you'll see it's, it's obstacles, right? It's, you know, climbing over walls and rope, Full rope climbs cool. and yeah, but you don't, you know, there's no, unless you build a course, you know, in your backyard, there's no real preparing for it. You know, it's just, you kind of try to stay in shape and try to, you know, work on, you know, some fundamentals and then you just, you go at it. So, <laughs> but the next one's in July. So I'm looking forward to it. So. Right then. No, thank you very much, Derek, for coming on the show. This has been a brilliant and one that I've been looking forward to do for a long time. If if folks want to find more about your books, what you write, where where they can find you? Yeah, Amazon. You can find the Alicia Connected book series, the the children's book series on on Amazon. The Application Security Program Handbook you can find either on Amazon or, or Manning.com. You can look me up on LinkedIn. You can also find me. I have a website, securelybuilt.com. I usually, you know, try to write blogs periodically, but it's, you know, it's I'm trying to balance a lot of different things at the same time. So it, I don't, I'm not always great at it, but, but yeah, LinkedIn's usually best place to get me. I'm pretty active there. So. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much, Derek, for the last message yeah, I... and the book, because it was a very well needed book for application security. A field that we don't have a lot of documentation about, and as you rightfully said, it changed all the time. So I'm really glad to see more books, and also I'm super glad to see more books for kids to actually learning how to defend themselves online in this ever-changing world. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and everybody out there, stay safe, and book of Derek! We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 